Do you remember the first time you heard a proverb? How old you were, what you were doing, who said it? I sure remember mine, and I'm going to share it with you. If you asked me if, uh, what my great affliction was as a child, and I'm confident my parents, if they're watching, would fully agree on this, it was boredom. I got bored really, really easily growing up. And sometimes that boredom led to really good, productive, incredible things like climbing really tall trees and digging really big holes, reading a book, helping my parents. And sometimes it led to stupid things and tragedy, like the time my sisters were watching a movie that wasn't getting my interest at all. I was getting pretty bored. And admittedly, I was looking at the back of their heads and saw their hair and started to wonder what Vaseline would do to their hair. What would it look like? What would happen? So I found some Vaseline, a great big tub of it in my, my parents' bathroom. And while they were watching the film, I emptied the entire contents of the tub onto their hair, just wiping it. And then I knew exactly what it looked like. And what it does, it stays in your hair and it may require a haircut. This is before you could like, as a parent, Google like, what do I do? You know, that just, this was the later 80s. Um, so what happened next? Well, I'm sure you can imagine. There was screaming, tears, parents, terror. And as people came running into the room in response to my sister's screams, I distinctly remember one of my parents' friends who had been over for dinner. Uh, they proclaimed this statement loudly over the room while locking eyes with me. I'll try not to lock eyes with any of you as I say this. And proclaiming, spare the rod, spoil the child. And that's Proverbs 13, 24. <laughs> well played, parent, friend. Uh, this was my introduction to Proverbs. Needless, uh, t needless to say, as a kid, I wasn't very impressed with this book. Yet, it is a very impressive book. A book that has withstood time and continues to speak wisdom into our lives today. Today, we kick off a series of lessons from the Proverbs that stand the test of time. Before we dive into them over the next couple weeks and the one today, there's a few things to remember about the Proverbs. The first is that the wisdom written in the book of Proverbs endeavors to assist the Christian in maturing into wise people. And I'll add in really particular ways, really practical ways. For example, in Proverbs 1, we read that wisdom tells us that if someone invites us to help them murder someone, we should say no. <laughs> the book also assumes that the reader wants to learn from other people and from the past that we come to this book with a learner's attitude. Not going to Proverbs to back ourselves up or to prove someone wrong. We're supposed to come to Proverbs with a desire to grow. And Proverbs is a collection of individual sayings that are often mysterious. Why? Likely as a strategy to designed to reel us in and get us really reflecting on its wisdom in our lives. I remember as a kid, I would say, hey dad, can I go hang out with so-and-so and do this and that? And my dad would never really give me a straightforward answer. He would usually say, 
Well, son, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. (laughs) This always made me stop and think. And that's exactly what the Proverbs want us to do. They want us to stop and think. This morning, we'll be reading Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, which gives its own introduction to the book. But before we read it together, let us pray. God, as we read your word this morning, reveal to us through the power of your spirit what it is we are each to see this day. May we grow in your knowledge of you and ourselves, and may we hear your word and trust it. Amen. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise, too, hear and gain in learning and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And the passage in particular that we'll be studying today, the verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does this mean? Are we truly supposed to be afraid of God? Like the way we fear the unknown? Or maybe an encounter with a wild animal and a nature hike? Well, let's look, at the, let's look at the word in its context. In the Hebrew, this word for fear is yirah. This type of fear is better described as awe or reverence, rather than being afraid. So when we read fear of the Lord, we can think of that as reverence or awe for the Lord. Let's also look at the word translated as knowledge. This is the Hebrew word da'ath, which denotes knowledge or understanding in its highest sense, true wisdom, and even obedience to the Lord. Taking these definitions into account, we might say that Proverbs 1-7 can be read this way. True wisdom begins with the awe of the Lord. What is wise to first and foremost root ourselves in the awe of God. When I think about this, I'm, I'm remembering Israel and their journey with God. And the incredible sense of awe and wonder they must have had when seas were opened for them. And it was dark at night and they were supposed to be walking. So God appeared in a cloud and it was bright. It was fire and it led them. And by day, God led them by another cloud and miracles and signs that we find in Scripture paint this picture of this God who is awesome. And the text is telling us today that if we want to understand the rest of Proverbs, we've got to get this down, that everything starts here, that God is awesome. But what does it mean for us? Taking these definitions into account, we know that God 
is unlimited, that God is infinite, that God is perfect, that God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, beyond our comprehension. Yet, sometimes as humans, we tend to want to elevate ourselves to God's level. We want to be the gods of our own lives. We think sometimes that we know what is best, and often we want control. We want to be in control. It's this desire that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and we still wrestle with it today. But this proverb, again, puts it plainly. True wisdom begins with the awe of the Lord. You, us, me, know our limits. Know your limits. Realize how small we are. And know God is in control when we're not. That God knows what is best and God knows exactly what we need. Instead of working so hard to try to elevate ourselves to God's level, the invitation in this wisdom today is to see our place in relationship with God correctly as children, as sheep. Now I have a child who gets bored, and I know what that's like, but she does it in her own way. Her boredom leads her to be an investigator. She's in the why stage of her human development. Orange Ministries out of Atlanta, Georgia, explains that the third year of one's life looks like this. It's a phase when anything can be imagined, everything can be a game, and one curious preschooler wants to know, why? Do you remember this stage of parenting? Are you in this stage right now with me as you see my graying and thinning hair? It looks like this at our house. Uh, You tell your three-year-old you're going to be right back. You're going to get a snack from the kitchen. And she says, why? And I tell her, because I'm hungry. And then she says, why? Well, I tell her, well, we're human beings, and we have to eat to stay alive and be healthy. And so I'm going to go eat. And she goes, why? And by now, I'm not just hungry. I'm starving. But the ball is in my court. I got to answer this question so I can get to my food. I say, because God made us this way. It's how we're designed. Why? And inevitably, you yourself are stuck with the philosophical question that comes at the end of all of the why questions. And that's what kids do. That's what we do. It's what we do with God all the time, particularly when things aren't going well and we're feeling our life is getting out of control. God, if you're real, then why did you allow this to happen? God, why do things have to be this way? God, why did you make me this way? God, why won't you just make this decision clear and write it on the wall? Why did that person have to go? Why do I struggle with this and no one else? God, why me? Or God, why them? God. Why? And just as a parent may do with their child, we know. God holds us, knows us, and reassures us all the way through our doubts and our questions. God doesn't get caught up in our why games the way we do with our kids. God, fully wise, fully loving, doesn't bat an eye, just keeps holding us and loving us through them. And here's the thing, 
God knows the answers to all of those questions. He knows them really well. And God lets us know when we're ready. And that's God's wisdom. See, we can see the wisdom of letting ourselves be children with our awesome God. And beyond that, Scripture invites us to see us part of God's pasture. We see this language in Scripture a lot, that we are sheep. This is beautifully illustrated in the 23rd Psalm, written by David, someone close to God's heart, but still very human, just like you and me. A human who had messed up terribly, just like you and I do sometimes. But in his writing of the 23rd Psalm in particular, we can see where his awe of God and his dependence on God has shown his growth in knowledge and wisdom. Let's take a closer look at it together. The Lord is my shepherd. Out of the gate, David has put himself in the right spot after God. God first, us second. God leads us. God tends to us. God is responsible for our lives. And as God's sheep, we don't have to worry about our lives. God holds our lives in his heart and in his plans, giving each of us a particular call and a thing to do, a reason to be here to glorify God and to enjoy him. Next, the psalmist says, I shall not want. You can do a whole sermon on contentment. You've probably heard them. What is contentment? It's a state of happiness and satisfaction. As God's sheep, we can find contentment, satisfaction, and rest in what God provides and has provided for us. God knows what we need. As God's sheep, we can trust that. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We can rest. It's not all on us. And maybe you need to hear this this morning. It's not all on you. There's a rhythm of life with God that includes stopping by refreshing water, soft, lush earth beneath us, supporting our weight and reminding us that we are made from it. God leads us to places to catch our breath. As God's sheep, the rhythm and pace of our lives is sustainable because our shepherd guides us to stop and rest. He leads me in paths, right paths for his namesake. God sends us in the right direction. God's not trying to mess with us and confuse us. God doesn't lead us to anxiety. God doesn't lead us to places of fear. God does not guide us without a plan in mind. God leads us into goodness. God leads us into thriving, into places of rest. As God's sheep, we go God's way into the full and abundant life that Jesus talked about so much. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Y'all, God is our ride or die. All in, through the thickest of the thick, through the worst losses and pains our lives will bring us, we are held securely by the crook of God's staff. 
God's love for us is strong. As God's sheep, we don't need to fear what is ahead of us. Even in death, we don't. Now, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This was the passage that, as a kid, made me not like this book. um, Because it's the same rod and staff referred to in Spare the Rod, Spoil the Child. So I had to do some extra research on it. And the good news is, God's rod is not one that strikes us and punishes us with blows to our bodies or to our lives. God's rod and staff are used to herd us, to nudge us, to protect us. It keeps us on course, out of harm's way. As God's sheep, we allow God to grow and mature us by faithfully following his staff's direction. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God is with us and protects us when we are vulnerable, when we're feeling unseen, when we're feeling unknown, when we're feeling lost or disconnected. God is with us. And this anointing our heads with oil our cups overflow. The thing is, God's not just holding us in our places of vulnerability. God is blessing us in our places of vulnerability and fear and pain. It's beautiful. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The good shepherd doesn't rescue us and then leave us. God is with us for the long haul, all of it. Whether we see him or not, God is there pursuing us, keeping us safe, making sure we have all that we need, amazing us with his love for us. As God's sheep, there is security and excessive joy to be had in our relationship with God. Doesn't this sound like a good life as a sheep with God, letting ourselves be led by him? So here it is. I know one day my daughter is going to come to me and she, she might be afraid of something in her room. She might say there's a monster under my bed. And truthfully, I'll tell her there's no monster there because I'm wiser than her. I know that monsters aren't real. Yet she still might be afraid. I might even turn on the lights and slide under the bed and be like, see, sweetie, I'm fine. There's no monster here. And she still might be afraid. But eventually, over time, she will come to realize that I was right. That I was right all along. That she can trust me. And in the same way, God knows everything that we don't know. Everything. And holds that in relationship with us lovingly. Not lording it over us, but treasuring us. Because God's love for us is so strong. That is truly inspiring of awe. Our passage today teaches us that true wisdom begins with awe. With being in awe of the Lord. And as we are in awe of God, we get to claim our right place in relationship with him. His kids. His children. His sheep. That's our guy. That's our God then we can start to grow. 
in knowledge and wisdom that this book has for us to glean.